series, Promised Land, is all about uh, the, the question, where do you live? You know, as believers, we have this awesome gift, the best gift we've ever been given, salvation. There will never be anything greater that any of us will ever be given, right? I mean, we get to, despite of our failures, despite of our faults, get to spend eternity with each other, with Jesus, with the Father. What an amazing gift that we could never earn on our own, but we can be so grateful for at all times. As a believer, we're all kind of, uh, you start off at one point, right, at levels of maturity, and, and, and then as a believer, you have a chance to mature and to learn the word and to get acquainted with who the Lord is through his word. And as you grow, it's like, uh, we, we you, you, as you grow and mature, it's like living in different places almost. So I was thinking and, and praying about this message a few months back, and one of the things that I was just reading through the Exodus, and the children of Israel, this generation lived in three different physical locations. They were born into slavery in Egypt. That generation left Egypt, it's the Exodus, and lived in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they were... <laughs> They were, but these, the children of Israel, they lived in three different places, Egypt, the wilderness. Every one of them were invited and called to enter this promised land. If you know that story, if you're familiar with it, only two, only two people that left Egypt actually got a chance to experience and enjoy the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. That wasn't the original plan, though. That entire generation could have walked out of Egypt spent about 12 days in the wilderness and then walked right into the promised land. But just like us, today, some people get saved and stay right there. Some learn a little bit about the Lord and who He is and, and don't go anywhere else. But we can go on a journey as believers and enter a place like the promised land where we are just living out of the abundance of God, like applying his word to our life and seeing victory after victory. We don't have to stay in a slave mentality uh, as they did in Egypt. We don't have to even stay in a wilderness mentality like they did in the desert. But we can enter this in. So there's so many similarities and parallels to these stories, to, to the story and what we can live now as modern believers. And I got into it just a little bit last week. There may just be a little review here in the beginning, but I want to get to uh, five different areas, five different areas that change drastically as we go from place to place or as we mature as believers, right? Five different areas, just like you have a view from your home, you have a view from your front porch, wherever you live gives you a different view, right? I, I love our home. I love our neighborhood. It's beautiful. It's North Carolina. Our friends from Colorado who were here a couple weeks ago were just talking about how every view here is so green and, and so uh, covered in, you know, you got kudzu everywhere. You get the trees are, are every, there's grass. They don't have grass in their yards in Colorado, right? It's just a bunch of red dirt. But when we go to Colorado, uh, sometimes we lead worship for, for the Teradezes and for Andrew Womack Ministries. And when we stay wherever they put us up, Man, you open the front door in Colorado, you might not see green grass and kudzu, but you see Pikes Peak there, a snow-capped mountain from your front yard or from the front door. It's a different view. It's different. Beautiful, right? And they had a different view when they were here. Wherever you live, wherever you stay, gives you a different view. The children of Israel viewed 
God differently in Egypt than they would in the promised land. They, the, where they viewed their supply. Where do I see my supply coming from? What drives me? They view their work. They viewed their purpose differently. And in our lives today, depending on where we are at as believers in our relationship with the Lord, we have a different view of those things. You know, believers can have drastically different views of God. There really is, there's one God. He is who he is. We can get to know him. It is a, his relationship with him is available for every believer. However, just like you can have a misunderstanding of somebody in the natural, there's a lot of believers who misunderstand who God is. Right? I, I mean, have you ever gotten to know somebody and you realize they are nothing like you thought they were? Right? You might meet somebody. You might think they're standoffish at first. They might not make a great first impression. Or maybe they do. And as you get to know them, you just see that they are completely different than you thought. You know, I, I, met, I could have met my hero a few years back. One of my football heroes, Luke Keekley. Remember Luke Keekley? I think he retired kind of early. Saw him eating in a restaurant and I thought I could go meet him. I was scared, though, that I wouldn't like him or that he'd be mean. I didn't want it to ruin my image of him. So I didn't go meet him, right? I didn't want him to be somebody that he actually wasn't. You don't have to be afraid of that with the Lord. You can get to know God and he's actually going to be better than you've ever thought he was. He is going to be better than the best thing you've ever thought. And as your view of God changes for the better, man, it changes so much about your life. So the children of Israel, they're in Egypt and we're going to start here with their view on God. The thing about this, they were, this is the chosen people. They were God's chosen Generation, people, they were Abraham's children, Joseph's brothers. They all were, were, came to Egypt through Joseph. They really were a type of salvation. They would have starved to death or they would have had mega problems had Joseph not been in Egypt. So they were taken care of completely. But as this generation was born into slavery, that changes your mindset. And they had a misunderstanding of who God is. As we receive Jesus as believers, if we stay right there in that place, we will also have a misunderstanding of who he is. The way they viewed God in the promised land was almost this, I'm sorry, in Egypt, was almost this attitude of, well, we can't really know him. It's not like he's personal, like we can actually have a relationship, but we obey him. They had stories they passed down from generation to generation. They knew about his relationship with Abraham, but there was no personal relationship whatsoever that they had with him. And there's so many Christians that do the same thing. They read the word. They read about God's relationship with David, Old Testament, or even New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the disciples. And they think, well, we can't know God like that. And they stay right there in this misunderstanding of who he is. And then there's another level. We're going to move to the wilderness now. In the wilderness, they were led out of Egypt with all these plagues, these miracles. They walked through the Red Sea. It was completely parted. They walked through on dry land. So then they, their, their understanding of God shifted a little from this great person we've heard about in our past to this God who's powerful and, and can do all these miracles, yet still there was a level of personal relationship that they rejected. 
They, I mentioned this last week, so I know this part's a bit of review, but they were invited into communion with the Lord. He said he wanted to speak to the entire nation, but they were afraid. They had seen the miracles. Again, their understanding of the Lord was completely wrapped up in this. Maybe it was a type of awe and reverence because they'd seen him do powerful things. But as far as personal relationship goes, they rejected it. They told Moses, no, we don't want to hear him speak. Let him speak to you and we will just do what you say. They wanted to keep this middleman between them and the Lord. And then eventually, though, they did enter the promised land and they built this temple. And the Bible says that when they finished the last detail of this temple, his presence fell literally in the temple and dwelled above the Ark of the Covenant. There was this personal aspect of their relationship with God that did not exist until this moment the temple was built and it was it was awesome as a modern-day believer how does this apply to us we can stay in in our understanding of God most likely when people get saved they don't have a great understanding of who God is or his nature right we have this moment where we believe in something I just heard this guy uh, on a podcast that wasn't even a Christian podcast and he was talking this past uh, week or two and and, and they said, the guy just asked him, the host, what do you believe? And he said, well, I used to not believe in anything. And he goes, well, well does that change recently? And he goes, yeah, recently I decided that there has to be a God out there somewhere. And before I die, I'm going to find out who he is and which one it is. And, and you know, I, I was getting excited because I know the word says that when you seek God, you'll find God. And, and the host said, well, what happened? What, what changed in your life to where you went from full-blown atheist to believing in God? And he said, well, I can't really explain it, but I was sitting on a beach one morning before the sun came up and I watched the sun rise over the ocean and I just had this desire in my heart to out loud say thank you for that sunrise. He said, there's something in my heart in that moment said, that is not just an accident. And I figured if there was something in my heart drawing me to say thank you, it had to be to whoever made that. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So this guy has a moment, and maybe he didn't get as far as, man, Jesus, right? He didn't get that far yet, but I believe he will. A lot of believers have this moment where we recognize our need for a Savior. We receive Jesus and people stay right there. And they have a misunderstanding view, a misunderstanding or an incomplete understanding of who God is. They know Jesus has a Savior, but they never open this. They never step into a church where we can have moments like this or like our men's group this past week where we talk about who God is in our life, where we communicate with each other and learn and they stay right there or or they grow a little bit and, and they see the miraculous and they they see God all around them but still they don't step into that relationship that he desires with all his heart that is a friendship something about that promised land for the for the children of Israel even before they left and went to Egypt Abraham lived there and he was known as what James 2:23 says he was known as the friend of God it was always about relationship God always desired relationship it says in revelation that he even created humanity for his pleasure he wanted relationship that's why he created Adam and Eve John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have loved, since I've told you everything the Father told me. I, I, there's a lot in there, but look, he said, I've called you friends because I've told you 
everything the Father has told me. He said, I didn't hold anything back from you. I've told you everything. This isn't just master slave. This isn't just the God in the wilderness that, that, that you see the miraculous, but there's no interaction. No, he says, now we share everything together. He's inviting every one of us into that friendship. Don't stay in Egypt. Don't stay in the wilderness with an incomplete understanding of God. Get to know God. Get to know God. It starts, and it, the best way is through His Word. Get to know Him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we have Jesus' story written down in five different Gospels. Read the story of Jesus and know that that is the very God that you are invited into this friendship with. Who wouldn't want to be friends with Jesus? Man, that's awesome. So that's God. The view on God changes as you live in different places. The view of your supply changes. What do you see as your supply, right? What do you see? In Egypt, the children of Israel had a very obvious supply. The Egyptians, they had a work. They were given food. They were given shelter. They met, their, they got their supply through work and Egypt was their supply. In the wilderness, their supply was a, a bit of the land, but mostly it was the miraculous. God gave them manna in the morning, uh, quail when they wanted meat, water from the rock. So their supply moved from these Egyptians to now there, there's some of the surroundings are our supply and God also fills in the blanks and gives us our food. In the promised land though, the supply was the way God originally intended it, seed time and harvest time. And there are a lot of believers that number one are living in Egypt and their supply that they view, my supply is just this world system. How many believers do we know? And how many times have we ourselves fallen to the trap of thinking this world is our supply? If I need something, I gotta go earn it. I gotta use this world system. Well, the world system is up and down. It's left and right. It's good sometimes, it's bad sometimes. Sometimes there's a supply, sometimes it runs dry. I saw a report this week that the oil barrel reserves are kind of at an all-time low. Well, I mean, you know what? Thank God our supply is not this world system, right? Even when, when, when it, it, we are a part of the world system, right? But that's not what we are of. There is a different system that is our supply, and it is the kingdom of God. And then in the wilderness, some of us are still living there where we say, okay, well, maybe it's the world system, but thank God, you'll, you'll, you'll always do the miraculous, and He will, right? And, and so just like the children of Israel, we start to rely on the world system, and then the occasional, oops, I need a miracle, right? And we run to the church, or we run to, to the Father, and we're asking for a miracle, and He is a God that gives us miracles. However, we can get to a place where our supply is simply drawing from the harvest of all the seeds that we have sown as the Father leads us. Seed time and harvest time. We don't have to live miracle to miracle. We can live in God's abundant supply as we put our hand to something. We will see it prosper. That is the word. We're going to get to that here in a few moments. But just like the children of Israel, there are believers that see their supply as the world system. Sometimes it's the world system plus some miracles. Miracles can be the uh, exception for the believer. We can get to the point where we are living off seed time and harvest time. I'll get into that just a little bit more. And if we need a miracle or if a miracle happens, it is becoming the exception. I don't want to be reliant on miracles, right? I mean, that's the equivalent of kind of living paycheck to paycheck. If the paycheck 
stops one week, all of a sudden I get behind or, or I can't pay a bill. That is not the best, right? That, we can all agree that is not best. Well, living miracle to miracle is very similar to living paycheck to paycheck. That is the wilderness. God supplies based on seed time and harvest time. And just like I prayed as we were giving, when we listen to the Lord and we put our seed in the ground, we will see a harvest. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, His delight, this is a righteous man, a righteous woman's delight, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. Man, put your hand to something. Here's the difference in the promised land and the wilderness. In the wilderness, they just waited for God to supply because he and his miracles literally were their source. As soon as the children of Israel entered the promised land, they had to plant their own crops. They had to harvest their own fields. The manna stopped the day they went into the promised land. The day they woke up and there was no manna, it was, well, we better go into the promised land now. Right? I don't want to have to see the miracles dry up before I go start planting seeds. They actually got to walk in and, and, and live in houses they didn't build and, 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 and eat from fields they hadn't planted themselves. But once that initial crop was over, they had to start plowing the fields themselves, planting their own seeds. How many times have we been sitting around just waiting on God to supply? And he's saying, go put your hand to something. Go put your hand to anything. I mean, Lisa and I are, are, are songwriters and musicians. Uh, we did that for a long time. We still do that. But I can't tell you how many people in the artistic community or whatever, that they, they, they kind of this understanding of they believe in themselves and I should be making money off this. And they reject the idea of having to go do something just at least even for a little while to pay the bills. But, you know, you still have bills, right? So I think that's where the word starving artist comes from. But as believers, sometimes we fall into that trap too. This isn't what I'm called to do, so I'm not going to go do it. I'm just going to wait until this thing happens, until lightning strikes, and all of a sudden I'm where I always wanted to be. There is a season called in the meantime, a waiting season. And sometimes we just got to go put our hand to something. The promised land is you will see it prosper. If you're sitting around waiting all the time, not waiting as we talked about, in the last series, which means to wrap your thoughts around the thoughts of God. If you're sitting around doing nothing is a better way of saying it. Sitting around doing nothing, kind of waiting naturally just for something to happen or for God to say, here's this manna from heaven here. All of a sudden you're doing the things. That's the wilderness. Get out of the wilderness. Move to the promised land. Put your hand to something and watch it prosper. And here's the good news about that. You're not, not only will you see God's abundant supply, you're not alone in it. You are a co-laborer with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about co-laboring. I mean, your co-laborer is the Holy Spirit. He takes whatever you do in the natural and makes it supernatural. He takes those seeds that you sow and brings an abundant harvest. Jesus said some of the seeds we sow produce 30, 60, or 100 fold. In the natural, that doesn't make much sense. A seed produces whatever a seed produces. But Jesus is saying there is more to it. When a believer plants seeds, when a believer plants seeds, man, he brings his increase. And that is the promised land. So what's your view of God? What's, how do you view your supply? It's different in each one of these three places. And next here, I'm going to jump in to drive. What leads you? What is leading you? 
in Egypt, uh, the children of Israel were pretty much led by their need. In the wilderness, they were physically led by a, a miraculous cloud during the day. If it moved, they moved. That night, the cloud became a fire, and they followed this fire. It led them through the wilderness. It was literally uh, this miraculous thing, right? Pillar of fire, pillar of a cloud led them in the wilderness. And then once they got to the promised land, what led them uh, and where we can get to is every word from the Lord. Uh, they, they, once they got to the promised land and became established, they, they eventually would have a king, but there was always prophets. There was always prophets that would partner with different kings and with the government and lead through uh, physical government, but also words from the Lord, right? And that's where we need to be as believers. We can get to the place where we're not being led by our need alone. Well, the grass is dried up here. It's time for me to go somewhere else all the time, right? People always uprooting and moving. And then in the wilderness, it was still very nomadic, but they were led by signs. Even as believers, we still wait for signs. I mentioned this last week, so I'm not going to stay on it long. But there's a lot of believers who only move when they get a sign. But just like the children of Israel, if you're only moving, if you're only driven by signs, you'll also be driven back and forth by every whim or doctrine that comes your way. Really anything can distract you and lead you to a new point in life where either it's a belief system or a new church or a new city and you're constantly being uprooted and moved and because of that you're not seeing the word of God become established in your life and see his prosperity. If you move before the seeds you plan to grow you don't get to enjoy the harvest. Right? That's just Kind of common sense in the natural, but then in the spiritual, we don't think like that a lot of times. If we're planting seeds and then just moving, following the signs, instead of hearing the voice of the Lord, instead of being led by His peace, that is living in the wilderness. And as believers, we can live better. We can see our roots grow and we can see things become established. And sometimes relationships get tough, but I'm telling you, if you work through tension in relationships, there is so much beauty on the other side. You know, about the same time Pastor Tom and Michelle started coming to our church, uh, there was another young guy that came to our church and I had two conversations within a, a month of each other. This, this other guy was talking about, um, he had a word, he thought, for our church and I didn't know this guy from anybody. And I just said, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want you to, to give that word to our church. I don't think that's, that's really accurate. I kind of just shut him down a little bit. I mean, I barely knew him. At the same time, he had a word for our church. Pastor Tom and Michelle came to me and uh, said, you know, you don't know us that well, but we're pastors and we love ministering to people, especially married couples. We'd love to be able to minister to married couples here. Do you think there's a place for us? And I, I told them the same thing that I told him about not giving that word. I said, you know, there is a lot of trust that needs to be built up before me as a pastor releases anybody to minister to our people. I mean, a, a shepherd of a flock has to protect the flock. I told them both. this. I said, man, hang around to the first guy. I said, hang around for a little while as we build up trust. I, I believe that I will probably give you a place to speak to our people. But let's build some trust up. I said the same thing to Pastor Tom and Michelle. I said, let's build some trust up with each other. And I'm telling you, there's a place here for you to minister to people once we start this process. 
Well, he didn't stick around too long and never one time spoke to our church. Within a year, we had Pastor Tom and Michelle. We were working on uh, curriculum together in a way. They were sending me, we'd love to share this with married couples. And within a year, man, they were ministering to our married couples, including myself and Lisa. We sat right there at the table on our uh, marriage classes and they spoke into us. There was a process where trust had to be built up first. This guy didn't really understand why I wouldn't just hand him a mic and say, go for it, say anything you want. My dad was kind of the king of just handing people mics. I learned from him what not to do when it came to handing people mics. If any of you knew my dad, you remember at least two or three of those moments. <laughs> you might have been a part of one, I don't know. One person came up here one time and she said, she said, uh, hey, my dad just handed her a mic and she said, this morning I saw the word Jerusalem written out. She said, the middle three letters are USA. And she literally dropped the mic and walked off like, like that was like a bombshell. I, I couldn't stop laughing. I started laughing so hard. It just it made the service pretty awkward, but man, it was funny. Sometimes I, I kind of wish I'd just hand the people mics so we'd have stories later in life. But we still have plenty from dad. Um, so we don't have to wait around for a sign to be led somewhere. I, I, I'm not condemning you if you prayed for signs. God is gracious. He'll give them to you. But just like miracles aren't his best, signs really aren't his best. Being led by peace, being led by every word he speaks is what is best. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. Signs are physical. That's our sight. But we walk by faith. And James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. As we are distracted by different doctrines or everything we see. I, people believe everything they read on Facebook, honestly. They need to stop reading Facebook and just read the Bible. If you believe everything you see or read, start reading the Bible and nothing else. That would be awesome if that leads you more than... I saw somebody... This is sad. I mean, Coolio, the rapper, passed away this week. I saw people sharing things like, Coolio, he was about to expose some people. That's why he died. I mean, he's a rapper from the early 90s. I kind of doubt he was about to expose some people. I mean, like, don't believe everything you read. And if you do, only read the Bible. Don't read your grandmother's link about Coolio about to drain the swamp or whatever. I don't know that he actually had the uh, physical um, uh, power in life to whatever that means, right? Stick with the word and you're going to be way better off, right? That is what should lead the believer as we step into our promised land. Every word of God. Peace. Man, the word says, let the peace of God rule your heart. As his voice is what's leading you, peace will be so resident in your heart. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I'm not going to get into this for long, but because I've talked about it recently in the past few months. But that word rule is uh, the word, basically, we, we have like referee of a sporting event. He wrote this to the church in Greece, and they were, man, they loved the Olympics. They had competition, and they understood that metaphor of, of a referee. A referee says when the game starts, when it's over. He says when there's a foul. He says when, when play, he is the absolute authority on that field. And Paul says peace can be that authority for you. If you're not hearing God speak directly, man, let peace from the inside lead you. Sometimes you have the uneasy feeling in your gut. If you're a believer, man, 
Stop saying I have a gut feeling and start saying the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now. He's saying don't do this. He's saying don't go this way. He's saying I should do something different. Stop saying it's my gut feeling if you're a believer. And if you don't have peace, man, recognize that that is the Holy Spirit leading you. Not a sign. You don't have to have a sign anymore. Like a big sign from heaven. You just, you can be led by peace. You can be led by His Word. He is so good that I do believe if we really, really want a sign, He's going to give it to us, right? But you don't have to. It's not His best. All right, work. We all have to work, right? My, my mother-in-law is glad to always tell us, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? She just says that a lot for some reason. It's one of her phrases. You do have to work, though. But your view of work changes drastically in these three places, just like the children of Israel. In Egypt, they worked for one purpose. They were building somebody else's kingdom. It made their work. Uh, it, it, talk about laboring in vain. I mean, that was not good. There's no excitement whatsoever in that. In the wilderness, every bit of work they ever did was uprooted and they moved to a different place. They literally wandered in the desert. If you didn't know this, they didn't just live in the desert and stand still for 40 years. Once they would set up the temple, which was made of tents, and they would all settle in. As soon as they did that, the fire or the cloud would, would start moving, and they'd have to get up and go to a different spot. They literally wandered in the desert for 40 years before they ever let themselves or before they were ever allowed to become established in the promised land. Whereas a believer, you don't have to do that anymore. You can become established. That is what the Lord desires for you. And... Uh, and it can all happen uh, through, through our work. It changes. So I'm going to get into this. This is a bit, um, this is, a, this is oh, I definitely didn't get to this point last week talking about work. So uh, in the, it, just like the children of Israel working to build somebody else's kingdom, we have believers who are all called to do the same thing. Bring heaven to earth. Jesus told us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, we as believers, it's our job to go do that. Right, we're praying. He said, and when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came in the flesh. He did the will of the Father and his work was completed. Who is left now here on earth as the hands and feet of the church? You and I. It is now our job to go bring heaven to earth. There are believers, though, who have no concept of this whatsoever. They get saved. Their ticket is punched to heaven. That's fine. They just kind of want to hide and work and be a part of the world system. One day, I'll be in heaven. That's kind of the focus. One day, I'll be there. Uh, in the wilderness, it, it's, it's so much picking up and moving. It's hard for anything to become established. Once the work is done, it's like we just have to start over and do it again. But as we enter the promised land, Man, our view of work changes 100%. Instead of it being laboring and, and, and hard, not that we won't have to work hard. I'm talking about physical labor. I'm talking about your job. I'm talking about the work that we do here on earth, right? Uh, part of it's our job. Part of it's literally bringing heaven to earth, like Jesus said. But Paul said that our work can become worship. Colossians 3.23, I believe, says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And that creates 
worship from your work. I think Lisa even spoke it out this morning. She said that she was hearing the Lord say that uh, those of you that have worked hard this week, you've had your hand on the plow, that Lord's saying, thank you. You're doing work, and it was like worship to Him. In the promised land, our work becomes worship. Not only that, we're doing it with our co-laborer, our friend, the Holy Spirit. And as you say yes to the Father, as you move from the wilderness to the promised land, and you'll be doing the things He's called you to do. And you know, when you're doing the things you love, work doesn't feel like work. You don't get up dreading having to go to work. And if you're thinking, well, I'm at a company, I don't love this, God can ignite what you're doing, even if it's at somebody else's company, with passion and energy. And through your work honoring Him, it's a mindset, a promised land mindset. Man, you will see more prosperity than ever before. You'll have creative ideas, and your work will become extremely exciting, and it will be as worship in the promised land. Your work, the way you work, changes drastically in each of these three places. 1 Corinthians 3, I already mentioned this, but... I'm going to read it here, 6 through 9. I have planted, Paul writes this, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Now, now he that planteth and watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are co-laborers. We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So, you know, we don't need to get this confused with the work of Jesus. He did a completed work. We cannot earn or work hard to earn our salvation. I'm talking about the work we do here. It doesn't have to be in vain, building somebody else's kingdom. It doesn't have to be uprooted, stopped, and restarted all the time in the wilderness. We can become established in wherever we're at, and we can see success working at our Physical companies, we can see success doing things that God has called us to do. It can be exciting and it can be worship to the Father as you work in the promised land. And here's the final thing I'm going to get to today, purpose. Your view and what your purpose is changes drastically. In Egypt, in Egypt, uh, in Egypt, the Hebrew people knew that one day we will be with God the God of our ancestors, in a different place. I don't know if they called it heaven, but they had an understanding that there was life after this life. Enoch, they knew their ancestor was called up to a place. He was here, and then he wasn't. Uh, Job says, I know my Redeemer lives, and I will stand with him on that day. They had an understanding of a type of afterlife, and for 400 years, these generations born in slavery may not have had more of a purpose within them than if we can just make it through this life, one day we will be in a better place. I, I mean, that's awesome. And, and God is so good. He's given us this place that we can live and that they can live. But we don't have to live only to say one day I'll be in a better place. That is Egypt. That is like being a slave. The wilderness, they had a different purpose. The purpose they knew they had was one day to enter the promised land. But it was always this one day. For 40 years, they would talk about this one day we'll be there. I mean, there's some of us, we may have been talking for 40 years with the same thing. One day I'll be there. We're on our way. We're still on our way. I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been on your way in the wilderness. You can get there. The promised land is a place where you no longer are driven by the purpose of one day I'll be there. But you just know you are there. And when that happens, that prayer that Jesus told us to pray 
on earth as it is in heaven becomes the purpose that drives us every second. Not just one day I'll be in heaven. Not just one day I'll be where God has called me. But no, every moment is right now is my purpose to bring heaven into this moment. What does that mean exactly? On earth as it is in heaven. Well, let's just talk about heaven for a moment. Sickness doesn't live in heaven. That means sickness wasn't supposed to be on earth. God didn't create sickness. Depression is not in heaven. Depression is not supposed to be on earth, right? This stuff, we are called as believers to push back the enemy, right? To, 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 through our authority, tell him no more. And when we come into contact with depression, to speak life and see people set free. And when depression is facing us, to dive into the word, to come to our men's meeting, our women's meeting and say, hey, sisters, hey, brothers, I'm having a hard time right now. Help me overcome this. Like, encourage me. That is what we're all here for. In that moment, instead of just saying one day it'll get better. No, we're living our purpose in that moment to bring heaven to earth. And if you want a reference, it's in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Man, bringing heaven to earth is, 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 is bringing restoration to moments when there's division, bringing love to moments when there's hatred. And as a believer, this is every moment of our life can be driven with this purpose. It doesn't have to be one day. It doesn't have to be uh, far out there when we're in heaven. No, it's right now. When we get to this place called the promised land as, as believers, as we mature and, and get to know God and have, uh, we, we can have a complete understanding of who he is. That in every moment, you'll stop praying this prayer that I hear so many people pray if it's your will, right? We can know the will of God. It's written down, literally written down. Instead of just praying, Lord, show me your will, we will just begin to speak out the will of God. Hey, sickness doesn't belong here. We speak to the mountain and tell it to move and we see we see restoration. We see healing. When we, when we have friends, they're dealing with, with uh, maybe they're heading down a road to divorce instead of just saying, well, I'm going to pick your side. No, instead of that, we choose to bring heaven to earth and we help lead down a path of restoration instead of separation. And there's so many ways. And your company, when uh, your companies are, are built off of people from all kinds of walks of life, but... So many folks say, I work in a very dark place. That's not the case. If you're there, you are the light of the world and you can stop thinking, I just got to get out of here and start seeing yourself as taking light into that place. Man, as a believer, living in the promised land takes your motivation from one day I'll be there to right now is the moment. Right now is my chance to partner with the Holy Spirit, co-labor and bring his will in this moment to earth. Man, we can get there. It's not just a nice thought. It's not just something that for the mega Christians, no, this is a thing every believer can begin to focus on. Every believer can get there. Every one of us. It doesn't have to just be the Joshua and the Caleb. This is for everybody. Man, every one of those children of Israel, I think there was something estimated over a million that left Egypt. Every one of them could have had that same promise Joshua and Caleb walked into. Man, don't sit around and say, no, this is for the preachers. This is for the evangelists. This is for the guy on TV. No, this is for you. It doesn't have to just be one day. This is right now you are called to bring heaven to earth. Right now your work can be worship. Right now you can have, you can know God. You can know his personality. When your view of him shifts, so much of your life changes. We can get there. That's what I believe we're doing at FCG. I mean, this is exactly... Uh, what we 
know we're called to do here at Freedom. We have our, our home, local, global. We always say that. The hope of Jesus in every family, in our city, in our world. Man, when, when, when these things, on, when our own heart, when we enter this place, the promised land, as we mature, as our view of God changes, and it overflows into our home, it overflows into our city, our world, when we decide instead of waiting around for something to happen, instead of waiting around till one day, if I right now choose to bring heaven to earth in this moment, man, that overflows into our homes and our families, our city, our world. That's what it's all about. And we are on our way. I believe you're on your way. And you're in the right place today if it's your first time here too. I believe with all my heart you are meant to hear this and to be encouraged to keep moving forward in your walk with the Lord. Amen. I'm going to invite the band back up. We always close here by responding to the word through worship. It's just the best response. And we read about David a few weeks ago and he was surrounded by enemies. His response was after he asked for help and remembered about the times God has got him out of these situations before he was moved to worship and he saw so much victory. So even right now, if you are recognizing, I, you know, I, I think most believers probably live just realistically in the place called the wilderness where it, it kind of live based on the world system, hope for a miracle, right? Or, or they don't quite understand God. They think, man, I wish I could know him. And, and God is saying, listen, you can know me. You have been invited to full relationship. So if, if you recognize part of yourself in any of this, this is not a chance uh, or, or not, this is not meant to make you feel bad or to condemn you. I mean, this is an invitation to something better. You know, Jesus looked at the man that needed to be healed and he said to him, do you want to be well? Jesus was not condemning him. He wasn't making him feel guilty. He was just saying, what do you want? I'm here in this moment to give it to you. And as a believer, man, that's what he's saying to every one of us. He's saying, I've already created the supply. You know, instead of being reliant on the world, you can begin to rely on his well. It doesn't run dry. Jeff and Alicia had a dry well last Sunday, right? But there is a well that doesn't run dry. You can draw from that in every area of your life. There is a promise that when we put seed in the ground, we get a harvest and we can stop relying on the miraculous. Stop saying, Lord, I need a miracle all the time. And we can get to the point when we are actually being miracles for other people. Amen. Wouldn't you just love to be able to meet everybody's needs around you? That's what you're called to do as a believer. And you can get there. It's not just a one day thing. It's not just a down the road thing. It is a here and now thing. Instead of waiting for a miracle in the wilderness, walking out of God's abundance and being that miracle for the folks that are still on their way. Amen. And it'll always be a journey for us. As long as we're here, we can keep moving forward. We can keep going deeper and deeper into that promised land. It's never, it's never going to be a journey that gets boring or comes to an end as a believer always going to be more. There's always more to Him. There's always deeper. Thank you, Father. Love you so much. Let's all stand together as we respond with worship.